Isn't it nice to be back to chapel? Oh, it's so nice to be back. Oh, it's wonderful. And what it's been a, a very rich uh, evening already. I don't even feel like I have to preach, really. Because <laughs> our songs preached my entire sermon. Yeah, so that's so awesome. Um, it's so good. God is so good. So um, I'm going to do a little bit of like, because I'm starting off our new series, today is going to be a little bit of like review, getting us on context, getting us on the right page, and then the good stuff will come later. But <laughs> but that's sort of what today is going to be looking like. So because what we were talking about, our series on faith ties right into what we're going to be talking about in our series in Hebrews 11. And so just to remind us, we had a recap through our video, and that is amazing. I just want to like remind us what it is that we were taking away from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So we came to the understanding that faith is this precious treasure that has been gifted to us. God has given us faith. By his grace and his grace alone, he has given us the faith that we have. And through his divine spirit, he has given everything that we have for life and godliness. I'm still working through that one, even though we've talked about it for five weeks. (laughs) I'm still working it through. We are to participate in his divine nature, right? And we are to uh, engage and cultivate what he has given us, he's were to cultivate that faith through engaging in the, the, the virtues that we were talking about. To add to faith, goodness and knowledge and self-control and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And I love that on Monday, don't you love that Tony preached from Second from Peter? How awesome was that? And I, I love that. And I loved his challenge to us. His challenge to have our, a faith that, in, that engages a reverend wonder. I so appreciated that. I so appreciated that. So we're supposed to participate and be um, engaged in our faith. And when we are engaged in our faith and, and cultivate our faith, we then are effective, right? That's what scripture tells us. We're effective. And if we do that, then our eyes are open. They are not closed and willfully shut. They are open to the things of God, right? We learned that. And as we remember and as we keep our eyes open to the things of God, we are then... Um, we are then get, able to live in that everything that comes from salvation, that, well, that includes our salvation to our eternal hope in glory, right? That is what we have talked about for the last month and a half. And that leads us right to Hebrews. It's actually neat because Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews, kind of says the same thing. It's very cool. In Hebrews 6, uh, verses 11 and 12, he says, as I don't suck in my hair, he says, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, make every effort, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to, be, but to imitate those who through faith and patience, in, and patience inherit what has been promised. So Hebrews is telling us, cultivate it, work it, 
Work it. Sorry, that's fine. That's funny to me. Um, <laughs> so, like Peter, the author of Hebrews is challenging the uh, the original audience as well as the modern audience that we need to be active participants in our faith. It's a common theme that we're finding in scripture. And so we are not to be lazy. Don't shut your eyes, but cultivate our faith, looking at what has happened, looking at, at what has happened in our lives, but then also looking at the lives of those who have gone before us to help us remember what God has done there um, so that we can see what God is doing there. And that is where we find ourselves into Hebrews 11. So a little bit of context of Hebrews, uh, the the whole book itself, it's written in the mid-60s, and it's just prior to some pretty extreme persecution that uh, was taking place for the Roman church under Nero. The the original audience, they would have been uh, Hebrews, they would have been, had some background in Jewish thought and worship. The author is making some pretty strong assumptions in his writing, And he's making the assumptions that they have some pretty extensive knowledge of the Old Testament and that they have some Jewish theological um, concepts going on in their mind. However, the the, uh, the, um, author is identifying some potential dangers for the audience that they would reject Christianity and revert back to Judaism. And the believers that are being addressed in this text, are probably constituting uh, believers that are in house churches and um, or in like groups of house churches near Rome. So those are that's who our original audience is. But so to get to where why why the author of Hebrews is saying what he's saying in Hebrews eleven, we have to understand like what's being said for the rest of the book. So I'm just going to give us a quick synopsis of what's happening in Hebrews. Okay. So in Hebrews, there is a bit of a struggle of spiritual lethargy. There's a little bit of spiritual laziness happening. All right? And so the preacher then warns against um, drifting from the Christian message that they know and reminds them of the consequence of disobedience. In chapter 3, he challenges their faithfulness with some positive examples of Jesus. And then in chapter 3, he also um, gives some negative examples of those who fell in the desert. Um, In chapter 4, we see that the hearers were encouraged to consider the promises of the eschatological hope. So think big picture, he's saying. Don't think just now, think big picture, think eternity. Also in chapter 4 and in chapter 10, we see that the writer is challenging his readers to hold fast to their Christian confession and describes that for them that their Christianity is actually more immature than it, sh- than it should be. He's saying where you are right now is where you should not be. You should be um, stronger in your faith. There should be more fruit in chapter 6, he again gives warning um, some, of some negative examples. And then in chapter 6 as well, he offers an encouragement. Ooh, like it's really up and down, right? Like he's straight shooting and then like gives him a pat on the back a little. Um, in, uh, in chapter 10, we see that these believers have, they're, they've not, they're, they're challenged not to abandon 
their fellow, um, their, their fellow Christians. Don't abandon the fellowship, but to actually um, work together, be sources of encouragement, they're told. And then there's this pretty harsh warning of judgment um, in chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. This pretty harsh judgment um, of what might await for those who turn away from God. And then in, in, uh, in chapter 10, verse 32, it takes a bit of a twist again. And then there's this positive example of what they have actually done in their past. So the, the author is pointing at things that have happened for other people in the past, things that have happened for them in the past. And then, uh, and then we find ourselves in chapter 11. And it's this, um, this exhortation for endurance, it's this massive example list, this hall of faith. And it's to demonstrate the effectiveness of what a life of, life, of, a life of faith looks like for somebody who is in the Old Testament. The purpose and the challenge for the author of this book is to encourage a group of discouraged Christians to build, uh, to, who are sort of drifting away from their Christian walk and he's challenging them or both, almost bolstering their, their faith and saying, like, like make a commitment. <laughs> he's trying to give them a pep talk. Make a commitment here. Draw near to God and just endure. Endure in the faith. So that's his, his challenge for this book and for this audience. And so what he does in this, in this trying to bolster their faith and keep them going, what he does is he brings out the, like, he brings out Instagram. <laughs> like, he brings out this photo album. He brings out the list. Look at all these people. Let's take a look. This is how we can keep on going. And so then that's how we get to the Hall of Faith. And so we're going to look at the Hall of Faith together. We're going to do it a little bit of a fun way. All right. So can you put it up for a sec? Awesome. See the yellow? You're the yellow. Oh, all right. All right. You're going to read the yellow bits. I'm going to read the white bits. And we're going to read this together, this Hall of Faith. Are you in it? All right. All right. Great. Okay, so here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what, what is seen was not made out of what was invisible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from his life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
by faith. Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an altar to save his family. By faith. He, oh, by his faith, sorry, (laughs) by his faith, he he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like the stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so for this man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died they did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own if they had been thinking of the country they had left they would have had opportunity to return instead they were longing for a better country a heavenly one therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he was, as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded dis- <laughs> He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead at to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. 
By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab became Shu because she welcomed the spies. She was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Japhath, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who, though faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword? Whose weakness was turned to strength? Who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies? Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There was others who were tortured, refused to be released, so that they may gain an even a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about sheep skins and goat skins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Woo! Man! What's that? That's a lot of reading. That's good stuff right there. Sermon done, but not really. (laughs) Okay, by faith, they were commended. It says at the very, very end, by faith they were commended. And at the very, very beginning, this is what the ancients were commended for, by faith. This is it. This is what they're known for. After everything that Abraham went through, after everything that Moses went through, what are they commended for? Faith. That's it. That's it. It was this life lived out in bold confidence, this firm assurance that what what was not immediately observable, that that would actually happen. It was that assurance that they had. They walked by faith. They knew their God. And God didn't promise, oh, this was so good. Okay, so remember how at the very, very beginning of the year, when when Dave was preaching on promises on the Monday morning, he said this. He said, God didn't promise us good times. He promised us good purposes. Those saints that we just read about were living out good purposes. They were not living out good times, quite frankly. But they were living out good purposes. And because they were living out good purposes, it was commended of them. It was their faith. Their faith was commended of them. And so here we are, Hebrews 11, these incredible saints of the faith that we can look to and try to try to take on their example. In the opening verse of chapter 11 explains what kind of faith it takes to live that kind of life. It says that, oh, but before it gets to verse, very first verse of, of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is actually sort of an answer to Hebrews 10, verses 36 to 39. Well, let's just go to 35. It says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere 
so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he, is, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will never, well, sorry, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who believe and are saved. And so that, that right there, those three, those verses there, Hebrews 11 is the answer to show what that looks like. And what it is, Hebrews 11, is this beautiful, sure, it's like this picture album. It's a melody. See, there's this incredible, the actual, the way that, the, that this chapter was written, the literary tool that this chapter was written was for it to be a melody. It's like a jingle. It's written like a jingle so that it gets in our minds. You know how jingles get stuck in our minds? Yeah? Okay, let's do a little bit of a jingle test. Ready? Let's see if we remember these jingles. Yeah. We're doing it. Get on board. <laughs> okay, ready? Let's try this one. Um, give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that. I was ready for somebody to yell football cream. I was ready for it. I was ready for it. Okay, there's that one. Do you know this one? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. What about this one? Sleep country, Canada. Nice. Okay, this one's an old one. Do you know this one? The best part of waking up. Right? Okay, so I haven't watched TV in years. Right? Like, all I've watched is Netflix in the last couple of while. But I know all of those jingles, they are stuck in my head. They're so catchy. And they create, they make these catchy songs so that we buy their stuff. So that when I'm thinking about how I need a mattress, I'm going to think about Sleep Country Canada. And when I've got a hankering at 11 at night, you know, I'm, and I, all I want is salt... I'm going to buy myself a Big Mac because I'm loving it, right? Like that, that's why, that's why they make these songs so catchy. They want us to remember them and they want us to like, it wants to sink deep into ourselves. So that's one part of jingle. Sometimes it's for, for wanting us to buy their stuff. There's this other jingle that I have like lodged in the recesses of my brain that has nothing to do with buying something. Well, you'll understand when I say it. It's more about an awareness. So this was a PSA when I was a kid. So this is back like back in the 80s. Okay, there was this... What? <laughs> yeah, 30s! Um, <laughs> so back when I was a kid and I was going home and I was watching TV after, um, after school... I, th- this jingle would come on. And now, whenever, whenever I hear the word drugs, I, I start to sing, either, either inside my mind or outside, I start to sing, drugs, drugs, drugs. 
Which are good, which are bad, drugs, drugs, drugs. Ask your mom or ask your dad. Like every time I hear the word drugs, that is going on inside my brain. Every time. So if you happen to say the word drugs for whatever reason, and I look a little bit spaced, it's because I'm singing the jingle in my mind. Right? And so it's this awareness. I now know, I now have it deep inside my core that there are good, dr- good drugs and there are bad drugs. And I need to ask my mom or my dad which one is a drug, which is a good drug and which is a bad drug. Speaking of mom and dad, they're in the house tonight. My parents are in the house. <laughs> I am so glad that they get to be here today. Um, So my dad, he has a jingle for me. Yeah, ever since I was like a baby, I have a song. And it's a song that I still sing to myself now that I'm, you know, 30s, you know. (laughs) And this is what goes on in my mind. Kimimi Nikki, oh yes, I love you. La 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 la. Kimimi Nikki, oh yes, I love you. La 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 la. Yeah. So whenever I have a moment of doubt that I am not loved, that song goes through my head and my heart. And I know that I am loved, that I have parents who love me so much. And I know that they love me because they show me, they tell me, but they sing. I have a melody in my head that tells me that I am loved. Hebrews 11 is a melody to get in our hearts and in our heads of what it is to be faithful, what it looks like to have faith. So, perhaps it might sound like this. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he is commended as righteousness when God spoke of him. It could be like this. By faith, Abel speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he does not experience death. (laughs) The author is creating a jingle for us. He's literally creating a jingle for us so that we can get it in our heads and in our hearts what it is, what faith looks like. This is what faith looks like, right? This is what he's saying. It's confidence in what we hope for. It's being sure of what we don't see. This jingle keeps telling us that it's confidence in what we hoped for, sure of what we don't see every time. By faith, he... It's confidence in what we hope for and sure of what we don't see. And it's a challenge. Not only does it remind us, it challenges us to do that. That's it. It's this challenge. Do that. For me, when I I think of Kim and me, Nikki, right? Like I think, okay, I'm loved. I'm going to live like I'm loved. 
When we, when we hear Hebrews 11, I'm going to live like, like I have faith. That's the challenge. The author has created this, this melody for us to remember what it, do, what it means to look like to live by faith. It's so cool, right? Isn't that cool? Okay, so the author, he provides us these two concepts of what faith actually is. He says that, one, confidence in what we hope for, or being sure of what we hope for. And the second one is being certain of what we don't see, or sure of what we don't see. So we have these two concepts of what faith is. So let's just quickly take a look at the, the verbiage. Like, what's the language actually saying here in this text? So we see this idea of confidence. It's here in chapter 1 or chapter 11, verse 1. But then we see it in chapter 1, verse 3. We also see it in chapter 3, verse 14. And confidence actually means confidence. That's it. It means assurance. It talks about, in, the, in that word, it talks about substance. It talks about firmness. In fact, it can even be like a collection of documents. <laughs> One commentator talks about how confidence can be like, here's my, my papers that say that this is mine. It's, it's a collection of documents that talk about ownership. It is also a guarantee or proof. That's what faith, that's what confidence is. So it's firm or solid confidence or like a calm courage. So it could be translated like this. Now, faith is resolute confidence. It's this sureness, like this in, very sure. And so the examples of the Hall of Faith demonstrate what, what resolute confidence looks like. This immovable confidence. So we've got that word, confidence. But then we have this piece of sure of what we don't see. So that part, that word, the sure or the certain, what it means is about, it means a conviction that isn't, that isn't like a static emotion, right? Like it's not like, hmm, yeah, I'm certain about that. Mm-hmm. No, like it's very like, it's actually quite guttural. It's quite lively, and it's, um, it's active. It's, it's not like a, it's not just dogma. It's not just like, I believe this because I believe this and that's what we believe. That's not what this talks about, the sureness of just like, yeah, yeah it is. But it's, it can, this kind of certainty actually compels a believer to take their like spiritual hands and grab onto what is being hoped for. It's this lively sense of, of action. And so it's a double whammy what the author is saying, that faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we don't see. It's a double whammy. It's saying it's active and resolute. It's lively and it's holding firm. So faith is the place where we are so convinced that what we are hoping in. We're just as absolute convinced. Even if we can't see it, we are convinced. We can't be, uh, we couldn't be convinced otherwise. And what it is, is it's this conviction of the object of our hope. That uh, it has an object, this convincing, this sureness, it has an object. And sometimes that object cannot be seen. And so this object of hope 
points out this interesting relationship that, that occurs with faith and hope. Don't you find that faith and hope sort of get lumped together? You know? Like Paul talks about faith, hope, and love. Like he lumps them together. And then even in, Paul even talks about like lumps. Let me read it for you. In Ephesians 4, chapter, yeah, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's this lumping them together. But what's the difference? Why make, like, why make a, like a division of, of these things? Why, what's the difference? So if hope is defined as something that's expected, or, or th- what hope is defined as is as something as expected, something that is confident. But that doesn't really clear anything up because really if we were to use that definition, then the definition of faith is being confident in what you're confident in and sure in what you're sure about. Like that's, <laughs> that's essentially what faith is. Confident in what you're confident in and sure in what you're sure in. Well, that's easy, right? Like that's so, that, like what does that even mean? It's so redundant, right? Like doesn't that seem redundant to you? And in its redundancy, it almost doesn't say something. Am I the only one? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Paige. <laughs> so we know, we should know by now, that when there is redundancy or when there is repetitiveness, repetitiveness we should pay some attention, Right? It should talk about that there's some sort of profoundness that's happening here in this text because it's saying the same thing multiple times. And so perhaps it doesn't say anything about the profoundness of our faith, which we might think because faith is what we do. But perhaps what is being said here is it more talks about the profoundness of God's faithfulness, that it, that it actually lands in God who's faithful, and that our faithfulness lands in his faithfulness. See, he is sure, and he is, there is confidence in who he is. In fact, like God is confident, and that seems like a funny phrase to say, God is confident. However, he is, because what we see in Hebrews 6 The author of Hebrews 6 talks about what God does when he's making a vow to Abraham. And if you're going to be confident in something and you're going to make a vow, Scripture tells us that you'd use, you'd vow to somebody who's more powerful than you. So it's like, I'm going to say in, like, I vow on, you know how people say like, I vow on my mother's life. I'm not doing that because my mother's in the room and I wouldn't do that. But like, you know... God vows on himself. He vows on himself. There's nothing more powerful than God for him to vow upon. So he is confident. He's confident in himself. He vows to himself. So if he is confident and if he is sure, our faith lands on his faithfulness. Right? So we're going to like back the truck up a little bit. And go through Hebrews 11 because there's all kinds of hope found in Hebrews. All kinds of it. So we see in chapter 3, it says, But Christ Christ is faithful. 
as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. In verses, or in chapter 6, verses 11 to 12, it says that we who hope for, may, uh, sorry, that what we hope for may be fully realized. We do not want to become lazy, we talked about this one before, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what, they ha- what has been promised. Also in 6, 18 and 20, it says that we who have taken hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor, as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. In chapter 7, it talks about the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced, Jesus, which we draw near to God. Chapter 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, For he who promised is faithful. This letter is calling the audience to have faith by by holding on to hope. Hold on to hope in God. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Right? Like Like grab on. Hold on to hope. Now, did you notice with the, the words that were c- carried with hope? Unswerving, better, anchor, full, confident. It's so, gr- it's so gritty, right? It's so powerful to hang on to hope. Like it's like um, th- this like wrap yourself around and hang on to hope. See, we don't get it when we hear the word hope because we don't use the word hope like that. The wor- way we use her- hope is we say, we've turned it into this, like, wet noodle of a word. Like, it's such a wet noodle, don't you think, the way that we use the word hope? Like, it's like, it's like a cotton candy, fluffy word that we use. It's so, it's just like, it's willy-nilly. Like, we say things like, okay, not that you would ever say this while you're driving from, you know, like, down Highway 11, but as you're busting through at 100, I hope I don't get a speeding ticket, right? Like, oh, I hope. Or we, like, when we realize that there's french fries at almost every meal, and we eat those french fries almost at every meal, I hope I don't gain 15 pounds in freshman year, right? Like, oh, here's hoping. You know, like, it's like across our fingers, knock on wood. Like, that's how we use hope. It, we, we talk about, like, well, I hope I get a ring by spring, right? Like, it's... <laughs> right? Like, we talk about these, like... Hope has some sort of, like... It's so uncertain the way that we use it. There's an uncertainty that implies that what we hope for is kind of all about me. <laughs> and it's, it's just, well, it might happen and it might not. Here's hoping, right? Like that's how we hold on to hope. And if that's how we treat hope, how can we connect that with who God is? I hope he's going to show up, right? I hope he provides, right? Perhaps that's why our, it's such a struggle of faith 
when we need him to provide, when we need healing, when we need provision, when we need him to appear, and we're like, "Eh, Jesus, I hope, right? Like, that's not what hope is. That is not, this this willy-nilly hope business is for the birds. Like, that is not, it's not, (laughs) sorry. Um, Yeah, that's, that's not what it is. It's unswerving. It's firm. It's an anchor. Hope, right? Like this, it's so much stronger than I hope, right? Like it's so much stronger. <laughs> Biblical hope is, so, is not based on uncertainty. It's all about certainty. It's all about certainty because that's who God is. It looks, biblical hope looks at something that might seem as uncertain and then looks to God and says, my God is coming through. I am certain of it. I'm certain of it. My God is coming through. I'm certain. I'm sure that he will come through. I know that he will come through. We sang that today. I know that he will. I am, I have resolute confidence that he will. I have faith that he will. When we understand the like the guttural like hanging on of what hope is, then faith isn't something that seems so like airy fairy and light. Faith and hope, that's strong business. That's strong business. And that's why the ancients the ancient saints were commended because they had strong confidence in God, in their hope. Faith is being confident in what is hoped for and certain for what is unseen. Even if we don't see it, our certain God does. So I have, I had this experience that I, well, okay, so you guys know I talk about my family all the time because I love them. And so they're my world and I want to talk about them. So when my parents were here, my dad says, don't say anything about us. <laughs> and so I was trying really hard. And then the other day I said, Dad, I have to. I have to tell a story about you. I have to. So, as many of you know, I moved last year. I was living in the Morrison. And I... <laughs> Which, can I say, for those of you who are living in the Morrison... Oh, it's, it's be- it, is a, it is a lovely place to live. I, I really did love it. It is a lovely place to live. Um, but I was looking for a bigger place to live. Right? I'm in my 30s. All right. <laughs> so I've been looking for a place to live for quite a while. And so I was hunting. I was on Craigslist. I was looking around. And I found a place. And I thought, oh, I think this is where I want it to be. This is in my price range. I think this is going to be good. And so when I found this, it was mid, mid to late, late February of last year. Now, for those of you who know the calendar here at Summit, what happens at the beginning or the mid of March? more. That's right. Right? Like no big whoop, right? Nothing major. It's easy sailing during more, right? Yeah. Easy, easy, lemon squeezy. More is really intense, really intense. And I was preparing a couple of sermons. And so I had like lots on my mind. 
When people normally plan to move, they normally plan to move in like low tide season of their life, when things are a little bit less, right? They usually do it in the summer or things like that. Not me. No. No. The most intense time? Sure, let's move then. Right? Yeah, let's do that. So I go and see this place. And while it's the most intense time of, the, of that particular season, like the, the, maybe the dumbest time to move, um, I thought, it's no big deal because my dad's going to come and help me. I just knew it. And so for those of you who don't know, my parents live in Ontario. Yeah. But as I was doing my, my preliminary planning for the move, I thought, my dad will come. It's fine. So I look at the place. I decide, yeah, I really like it. So I put my application in, and I walk down the building, and I sit in my car in the parking lot, and I call my parents, and I say, hey, I think I found a place. I just put in my application um, to find to get this apartment. I'm really excited. Before I could get out the words, I'm really excited, my dad says, when do you want me there? On Thursday? Do you want me there on Thursday? Thursday? How about Friday? Do you want me Thursday? <laughs> Meanwhile... While I'm trying to tell my parents what the place is actually like, my dad hops on swoop. He's like, you know, and he says, oh, there's one seat left on Thursday. Should I get it? Should I get it now? There's one seat left. Do you want me to get it right now? Like I'm, like the expression, the amplification of my voice is about the only, ex like, like exaggeration of this conversation. And I said to my dad, Dad, you need to wait. I don't actually know if I have the apartment yet. You have to wait. I'll hear on Tuesday. He says, but there's only one seat left. <laughs> I said, Dad, you're going to have to wait. So over the weekend, I wait. My dad waits. And then I get the call on, uh, on the Tuesday because the Monday, for some reason, it was family day maybe? I don't know. There's a holiday. Anyways, I get this call on, on Tuesday. Then I got the place. Woo! Right? So, I call immediately to my dad. I got the place. Great. I'm looking at Swoop right now. So then, like, he's like, I'll call you back in five minutes. Five minutes later, I get a call. I'm coming on Thursday. I'll be there until Tuesday. Okay, great, Dad. He's like, yeah, we're good? Yeah, we're good. Okay, see you on Tuesday, like, see you on Thursday. Click. <laughs> That's how it went down. So I know my dad's coming. In the busiest season at that time, my dad is going to hop on the plane, help his 30-something-year-old daughter, who's a grown adult, <laughs> to help me move. That's insane, right? Like, that's just crazy town. And so while he's getting ready to come, I'm getting ready to come. I'm doing all my part. I'm packing things in boxes. I'm calling and making the order for the U-Haul for the, um, truck. And I'm getting my ducks in a row. I'm doing my part. My dad comes on Thursday. I pick him up. We come here. I think we have lunch in the cafeteria. I go to work 
And my dad starts moving my stuff. He just, on his own, by himself, moving my stuff. I knew before I even called my dad that I was about to get an apartment. I knew that he was going to be there. I knew it. I was hoping that he would come, but I knew that he would be there. I knew it. I knew it because he sang to me a song that said, Kim in me, Nikki, oh yes, I love you. La 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 la. He sang me that song. And so because he loved me and he knows me and I know my dad. See, the thing that you don't know yet is that this is how my dad shows that he loves people. One of many ways that he shows love for people. He has moved countless amounts of people. Like he could probably go into his own business. He's moved so many people. And don't call him. He's now old. Don't call him. He won't move you anymore. <laughs> but see, the thing of it is, is I had the song. I had the knowing that he loved me. And then I had his, all this experience. I had this knowledge of who, who he was and what he did for other people. So when I hoped that he would come, I knew that he would come because that's what he's done every other time. And I think my dad and my mom are the most amazing people ever, ever. I love them so much. I'm so glad that they're my parents. But my dad, as awesome as he is, pales in comparison to how awesome our father is. Pales in comparison. Our God is so good. He's, he sings over us. I love you. La, 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 la. He sings over us. He gives us example over example, above example, above example of how faithful. This is how I show I love my kids. This is how I show I love my kids. This is how I show I love my kids. So if you're wondering if I'm going to show up, look at what I did. That's what Hebrews 11 is. If you're wondering if he's going to show up, faith looks like knowing your dad. That's what faith looks like. These saints, they knew their dad. They knew that their dad loved them. They knew that their dad was who he said he was because they had example after example after example. They knew their dad. They knew that there was a guarantee that he was going to show up, even if they couldn't see how he was going to do it. They knew. They knew. Do we know our dad? Do I know my heavenly father like Abel knew, knew his heavenly father? If you guys could come up. That'd be awesome. Do we know? We had that challenge already today, right? Like I didn't even have to say anything today. We've already had this challenge. Do we know our Father? We've sung, I want to know you more. If we want to be known, we were talking in, in pre-service prayer, uh, one of the things was, what do you want to be commended for? And I overheard someone say, somebody be faithful. 
you want to be commended as a faithful person, know your father. Like, we can make it super complicated. Know your father. Know your father. That's how we are faithful people. If we want to be commended as faithful, like the saints of the, the hall of faith, then we have to know our father. Do you know how we know our father? Our Bibles. This is how we know our father. I knew my dad would come and move because he moved so many other people before. I know my God will provide because he's provided for so many people before. That's how I know. So how's your Bible reading going? This is how we get to know our father. So this is what I'd love for us to do. Would you stand with me? And would you maybe put your hands out uh, and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have deposited truth in our hearts. Thank you that you have deposited conviction and promises in our hearts tonight. And now we ask with our hearts and our hands open, what do you want me to do with what you've said to me today? How do I know you more? little bit of time tonight and spend some time with our Father. That might mean that we sit down, open up our Bibles and start reading. That might mean that we talk to Him. That we really, really talk to Him. That might mean that we really, really listen to Him. It might mean that we sing with Him. Can we take a little bit of time to be with our Father tonight? Remember that He loves us, that He loves you, sings over you. He loves you, and He is faithful. Holy Spirit, would you continue the work that you began? Draw us closer to your Father heart.